Jared, I'll do it. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. 49ers Raiders week. First time that in a long time that it's not the battle in the Bay. Back in back in Dennis's day, it was the Raiders were in L.A., right? Yeah, the Raiders were still in L.A. in the early 90s. So it hasn't always been the battle of the Bay. Hadn't always been the battle of the Bay. Now it's going to be the battle of the Bay Area against Las Vegas. 49ers heading down to Legion Stadium, supposed to be quite the spectacular palace for the Raiders. It's not a very spectacular team, though, for the Raiders this season. Eliminated from playoff contention, so they've benched their quarterback, Derek Carr. He has apparently left the building because he doesn't want to be a distraction to the team. Uh, it was a salary cap move at, at its core because the Raiders didn't want Carr to get hurt and then have to owe him somewhere between 33 and $40 million in injury-guaranteed money. So they're moving to Jarrett Stidham, and they also have just put Chandler Jones and Denzel Perryman, two of their better defensive players, on injured reserve. So the 49ers opened as, I think, like six-point favorites. It's up to 10 points now, Matt, because they, at least as far as personnel goes, have a massive, massive advantage over the Raiders as they gun for their ninth straight win. Yeah, and uh, there was a lot of, uh, in the locker room yesterday, in the 49ers locker room, a lot of uh, what you usually get, which is uh, them trying to convince (laughs) us that uh, this is a really formidable opponent. And there is talent on the other side. Um, Shanahan pointed out that uh, Jacobs leads the NFL in in rushing. You've got Devontae Adams, who has been a thorn in the 49ers side, and in previous years, and you've got Darren Waller, and he might be the best tight end that the uh, the 49ers have faced since since Travis Kelsey. And then on the other side, uh, uh, Shanahan called Max Crosby the best defensive end in the NFL after uh, a certain somebody on the 49ers. But, uh, you know, it's a lot of nice parts, but the sum of the parts has not been very good. And they lost, uh, I think it was 13-10. to 10. It was in Pittsburgh, uh, cold game, uh, snowing, but, um, you know, uh, that, that's a rookie quarterback. Pittsburgh's rebuilding. They couldn't get it done there. Dennis, it's very hard to see the Raiders getting it done uh, against a very, very talented and, I think, even more to the point, focused 49ers team. And I don't see that focus wearing off over these last two games. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, the only the only way I see the 49ers going in to this football game and not winning or not thoroughly beating this Raiders uh, football team is if they kind of beat themselves, if they just don't show up, if they make a lot of mistakes, if there's turnovers, uh, if there's a lot of uh, uh, breakdown in coverages, missed tackles, all those things that you do to lose a football game. That's the only way I, I can see them coming in and losing to this football team, um, you know, especially up front, uh, the Raiders' offensive line—they're just—they're awful. They're awful, and, and Nick Bosa and the rest of this defensive line should have a field day. But you know, if, if you stay focused on what you have to do, the job at hand, uh, and the 49ers—they're—they're they're chasing that number two seed. It seems like Minnesota doesn't want to lose a football game. They keep coming back and finding ways to win football games, but that's got to be the focus. Um, and this is an opportunity now for more looks for your quarterback, but again, your 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 defense to sharpen up, you know, your your, your skills, get ready for the playoffs. And this is a team you can kind of go off on. So, you know, you know, Derek Carr, I think he he's been there for eight, nine years. 
Uh, they've been talking about him um, not being on this team for many years. Uh, now it's finally happened. He talks about it's going to be a distraction if he's there. It seems like a dis- it's a distraction if he's not there. So this yeah. football team is in disarray a little bit. So you go in, you take advantage of this opportunity, and, and you come out with a win. But the only way I see the 49ers losing this football game is if they go in not focused and make a tons of mistakes. As is usually the case in the NFL, right? If you lose that turnover battle, yeah. you can lose to anybody. 49ers lost to the Falcons earlier this year. One of the main reasons they did was because that that turnover battle. Remember the fumble from Jeff Wilson that was returned for a score by the Falcons in that game. That really put the 49ers in a hole that they did crawl their way out of. They ended up tying the game, but just had a weird feeling throughout. Now, that was a game where the 49ers were missing a ton of guys. By the end of the day, they were missing seven starting defenders, and that's just not the case anymore. So talent-wise, they are overwhelming favorites over the Raiders the 49ers over their long win streak here they haven't lost in over two months October 23rd against the Chiefs was that most recent defeat their average margin of victory is about 17 points which is staggering for the NFL they are on an absolute tear offense defense and special teams they have two of the top three special teams tackling leaders in all football so we talk about how good the defense and offense has been but George Odom and Demetrius Flanagan Foles are in the top three. Odom's leading the way with 18 special teams tackles. So all three phases of the game are firing on all cylinders. And when that's the case, Matt, it's it's a lot harder to envision a way in which a team gets upset, right? Say the 49ers are like the Chiefs and they had an awesome offense most of the time, but the defense was mediocre and the special teams were just okay. Those are the kind of teams that can get upset any given week because maybe the offense has a bad game. A couple turnovers happen. But if you're playing number one defense, number one offense, and you have two of the best special teams players in the league to make sure that there are not big cracks in that phase of the game, it's a lot harder to have a slip up, right? Because because you're playing such good complementary football that it's a much more sturdy structure that you've built because you're not just relying on one pillar. Yeah, and you also have the right leadership in place. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if Fred Warner gets quite enough credit I uh, I uh, was given special permission to sit in during halftime of the uh, Buccaneers game a few weeks ago, and that, that story is coming out later this week. But one of the themes is that Fred Warner never shuts off. What we see kind of in practice and in pregame, you know, with him in the middle of the huddle, <laughs> that's happening at, at halftime too. Uh, he is making sure that there's no let up, um, and uh, I'm sure he's doing that this week, and uh, that'll be the case next week going into the Cardinals game. I mean, one potential issue for the 49ers, uh, Nick Bosa had to go home early on Wednesday, Dennis, because uh, he was sick, and Mitch Wisnowski also had an illness. Uh, Jordan Mason had an illness earlier in the week. There may be some sort of bug, which is not uncommon right after Christmas, uh, going around this locker room, and, and that could take a, a toll on this team. So that could take some of the, the teeth out of this formidable defense. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Dennis, uh, you know, Nick Bosa obviously is the major piece on that defensive line moving forward. Uh, they've got a lot of free agents coming up, and basically everyone else who plays that defensive end position opposite Bosa, aside from Drake Jackson, the uh, the 2022 draft pick, is going to be a free agent. So we're talking about Willis being a free agent. We're talking about Amenahue being a free agent. Kerry Hyder is a free agent. And you want basically Ebucom, 
Samson Ebucom is a free agent. Anybody who's been lining up on that opposite spot from uh, from uh, Nick Bosa. So the, the 49ers have some decisions to make about what that composition is. I thought that Willis had a really nice game. Um, he would be the guy that I would like uh, to see opposite uh, Bosa moving forward. What are your thoughts about that? Jordan Willis had a, had a really good game, right? I, I don't know if he's consistent. I mean, I haven't seen consistent. I guess I haven't seen consistent play out of anyone else on that defense. I've seen a lot of flashes with with Drake Jackson. Um, I like him because he's young and you can still kind of teach him some stuff. These other guys, it just hasn't been very consistent. And, you know, a lot of these guys are are guys who can play three techniques uh, inside and then they can play outside. I would love the 49ers to find someone who is a outside rusher that can be a bookend. I think with Ken Law uh, and Eric Armstead in the middle, you're good there. Then you get some some guys in the depth uh, for them, backup second-tier guys. But it'd be great to see a guy develop like a Drake Jackson who is, who is strictly an outside pass rusher. Uh, someone who can focus on working on that left side of the ball and just work on technique you know, the techniques, the hand placement, the foot, the feet technique to, to kind of run that hump. And then, you know, he can kind of shift around once he kind of masters that like a Nick Bosa's done. But it'd be great to kind of see, you know, a guy be developed there. The other guys, you know, you see flashes. I just haven't seen much consistent play with anybody else, you know, other than a Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead. So, you know, in the offseason, I think you have to back the, the Brinks truck up for Nick Bosa. I mean, he he is the cornerstone of that defense, that defensive line. He makes everybody else want to play it up to his level. So that makes the defensive line so much better. But I, I don't I, I haven't haven't really studied any other guys besides Drake Jackson because he's a young kid. But the other guys just don't seem very consistent to me. Well, that's the one big drop-off from 2019, right? When they were fully healthy, they had D Ford on that opposite end from Nick Bosa. And, you know, it's funny. You look at the differences between the, the great 2019 defense and this 2022 unit, which is obviously no slouch of its own. That 2019 team was better along the defensive line. This 2022 team is better in the back seven. The linebackers have matured since then, and I think that the secondary uh, has more firepower since then, especially because of Charvarius Ward. I mean, he's playing lights out football this year, but he also have a pro bowler in Talano Hufanga. And that second cornerback position is uh, stronger than it was in 2019, even with with uh, injuries. I remember the 49ers having to go to Kello Witherspoon in that 2019 season down the stretch, and that became a concern against Seattle and then against Minnesota in the playoffs. Yeah. But um, the defensive line itself is actually weaker now than it was back then, and Dennis is totally right. If you have a bookend to Nick Bosa, you see you, you saw it in 2019 when D Ford was healthy. I mean that was a that was a monstrous defensive line. And they plus they had DeForest Buckner too. Now if you get Kinlaw back, which they have him back right now and he could stay healthy, then you know, you the the replacing DeForest Buckner part of the plan gets back on track. But they still have to replace D Ford because they were expecting more out of him health wise as well if they want to get back to twenty nineteen level. So Drake Jackson is one project there and 
then you see what else you can do. But you know, n- n- you know, despite the fact that Jordan Willis had a good, good game, uh, despite the fact that Sansa Mebucom has been a fine player for them, D Ford was just a different level of player when he was healthy, right? And and paired with Bosa, that was that was a pass rush that uh, you know I think those twelve weeks to probably a top five pass rush in NFL history. You you look at at what they were producing. The problem is it wasn't sustainable because D Ford couldn't stay healthy. And uh, Shanahan made it very clear. A couple of times that uh, the fact that Drake Jackson was a healthy scratch on Saturday was not, uh, you know, uh, a a message to Drake Jackson. It was because uh, they knew that the commanders were going to run up the gut against them. They knew that uh, Javon Kinlaw was going to be on a on a uh, pitch count, 15 snap pitch count. And they needed to bulk up the interior. And so that's why Michael Duwam for a defensive tackle was up and Drake Jackson a defensive end was inactive. However, I mean, it does say something that, uh, you know, Jordan Willis and some of these other guys were up ahead of Jackson. And and I think that has a lot to do with special teams. For example, Jordan Willis plays, I forget, uh, 10 to 12 special team snaps a game. Uh, so there's that in it. But I, I do think that they are this is a very subtle signal, and again, Shanahan said it's not a signal, but I think it really is, is that they want to see Drake Jackson at some point take the next step. Because I, I do think that that's, that's, you know, that's their, uh, their best plan moving forward, is that he matures into that spot, and he's got the athleticism. Um, he's more athletic than, than Nick Bosa, for sure. Um, he's, got, he's got elite bend. We see him doing backflips all the time. He has the potential to be a really, really good, dynamic, um, he can, a guy who can do everything type of player opposite Nick Bosa. It's just, you know, how quickly is he going to develop? Um, and we've seen the flashes, as, as Dennis said. It's, it's, it's just been flashes this year. They want to see consistency. I'm, I'm not, this isn't a critique of Drake Jackson. I think this is typical for a rookie, but it is a question mark. Will he be able to take that next step moving forward? I think the 49ers would love for him to just kind of seize that position and make the uh, make the choices very easy for them. Yeah, and you know that from year one to year two, defensive line is huge. I mean, when you when you show up to camp or OT, OT, OTAs uh, next for next season, I mean, it's got to be a, a a jump. And I think that's what you know, kind of a little disappointing about Javon Kinlaw. I know with the with the injuries. But for D line with that that second year, once you've had a whole year under your belt and you've got a lot of reps, uh, game time reps, now is the time when you take that next step. Uh, and Drake's got to be that guy. And and you know I can see that the athleticism that he shows. He's a long guy. He's got those long arms. If he can master, you know, rushing from the left side, and and it's it, it may sound weird, but it's technique to that. Uh, especially in this wide nine, you got to be able to close the distance between you and the offensive lineman. Then you got to be able to to get the hands off you, and then you got to run that hump to get around an offensive tackle. So if he can master that, um, you know, and and with Nick Bosa on the other side drawing a lot of the attention, he's going to be one on one. He's got an opportunity if he can just take that next step in the offseason, um, you know, do, you know, get get in the weight room, watch the film, work on his technique, look at the way Nick Bosa pass rushes. I don't know if he can get down in that 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 track, that track stance and get off the ball and see the ball. But, 
you know, you work on your craft uh, and you got to take that next step. Um, he's in a great position. I mean, this is a good defensive line that he's on and uh, he can learn from a lot of guys. Eric Armstead right next to him. And of course, Nick Bosa. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just think back to when I was with the Niners and seems like it seemed like every single year um, the 49ers drafted another defensive lineman and they expected you to make that jump you know, that second year uh, on the football team. And it was like, it was with me, then it was with Ted Washington, then it was Dana Stubblefield, then it was Brian Young. So each year we had to make the jump uh, into the next slot as far as our, our level and, and, and the reps that we're taking and our, our ability to play the different positions. So um, it's always been focused on the, the line of scrimmage and the defensive line. That's what that's what this defense is based on. And now, you know, you've had this defensive line that's played well and everybody else has gotten better. You know, linebackers have gotten better and secondary have gotten better. So, you know, you take that into uh, Las Vegas this week and, and you do what you have to do and uh, continue to get those takeovers. And that's huge, Dave. You said it. Continue to get the takeovers. You can win a lot of football games. Well, by extension, the defensive line of the Raiders is something that can threaten the 49ers in this game because they have Max Crosby, who we mentioned, I think it was Mike McGlinchey, who said he's going to be spending most of his time blocking Max Crosby, by the way, but he said that uh, you know that he might be the second best behind Nick Bosa in the NFL as far as edge rushing goes. And Crosby's around 15 sacks already this year. Uh, tremendous player, works mainly against that right tackle position. 49ers catch a break because the Raiders just put Chandler Jones on IR. He, he, he was like the bookend for Max Crosby, so that pass rush is significantly weakened there. But Crosby's good enough to take over a game by himself if you're if you're unable to block him over there on the right side. And uh, we, we all know that one hit can, can change the course of a football game in the NFL, so the 49ers have to tread really carefully there. That being said, you know, we talk about trenches being the key. Uh, well, as I talk about Max Crosby and the Raiders' D-line, it's going to put the focus on the 49ers' O-line. And this offensive line, guys, playing really well. I'm, I'm writing right now about Mike McGlinchey from, in my uh, predictions piece, and this is the best football that Mike McGlinchey has played in his career. It's the most balanced football. He He's ranking in the top half in pass blocking and run blocking. I mean, remember the first three years he was an elite run blocking bottom tier pass blocker. It was really imbalanced and created some issues with the 49ers offense. Well, his his run blocking is is not as great as it as it used to be, at least according to some of those PFF grades. And I think Chris Furster would, would you know tell you the same thing that McGlinchey's bulked up a bit, so he doesn't move quite as well as he used to. But he he is anchoring better against pass rushers, and he hasn't given up a sack in several weeks. He had two you know, costly false start penalties in this past game against um, the 49ers are playing against Washington. But nobody's saying that he's perfect. Nobody's saying that his line is perfect, but they're a whole lot better in pass protection than they have been in years prior to the point where right guard hasn't given up a sack. That's either Burford or Daniel Brunskill hasn't given up a sack since Brock Purdy took over. Center Jake Brendel is Pro Bowl alternate left guard Aaron Banks has I think you know been a pleasant surprise for a lot of people who thought he was going to be a bust after year one and Trent Williams at left tackle may be the best to ever do it at that position so this offensive line is rounding in the form 
and just at the right time because playoff football is coming up and Max Crosby is coming up on the schedule first and you need an offensive line to handle both of those challenges. David, don't let uh, Twitter hear you compliment uh, Mike McClinchy. I mean, <laughs> He's no. going to be the headline of this piece. People are going to pile on. I could see it coming. There is, there is no more, I was going to say polarizing player, but it's not even, he's not even polarizing. Uh, the fans love to dump on Mike McClinchy, and um, I agree with you. I mean, offensive lines across the, the NFL are rickety, and just about every team has a huge issue along the offensive line. They've got glaring weaknesses here, glaring weaknesses there. The 49ers ha- have really done a great job of covering that up. I think that's a, a real testament to Chris Furster, the offensive line coach, taking that really inexperienced group, and you can kind of see it just um, becoming more and more confident as the year goes on, and that uh, that big run by Ray Ray McLeod early in the Commanders game, that was to the right side. And uh, Mike McGlinchey, of course, he was out there, and Spencer Burford was out there. Both of them got excellent blocks, I guess, on a 71-yarder. Everybody has to make an excellent block, but they did so. But it, it also raises another free agency point. Mike McGlinchey is not signed beyond this season, um, and that's uh, that's a big-ticket item. And um, as uh, controversial as Mike McGlinchey's been, what I just described, just the kind of general um, uh, lack of talent at offensive line, especially offensive tackle across the NFL, is going to create a market for him. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so the 49ers are going to have to make a big decision there as well as <laughs> several other spots. I mean, we, we're going to have a lot to write about in February and March. Um, but, um, boy, talking to them, David, uh, uh, you, you've heard Shanahan talk about McClinchy. It doesn't seem like uh, it's, it's going to be much of a, a question mark in their mind, at least whether to attempt to re-sign McClinchy. I think they like him a lot more than, uh, than the fans do. And uh, I know, Dennis, you hate to talk about offensive <laughs> linemen and give them any sort of credit. But w- what are you seeing along that line as the, uh, as the season's going on? That they hold a whole lot. No. Um, I, I think they've gotten better. And I and I think, you know, in a Kyle Shanahan offense, I think he, in his mind, he has that, um, an offensive line men in his mind. And it has, you have to be athletic. You have to be quick with that zone blocking scheme. And I think it's Mike McGlinchey. I think it's, it's who he sees. And I think with Trent Williams being on the other side, I think, um, you know, that's, of course, you know, that's going to make you better because you're the best offensive lineman, Trent Williams, in the National Football League. And everyone kind of wants to play to your level, kind of like a Nick Bolsa on the other side. But I think uh, Mike's gotten better because he's got his weight up, I think. I mean, you know, his, his big thing was, and it still is, I think, is any player that's going to take the inside route, they're going to beat him. Or if you're going to bull rush him, you're going to be able maybe to beat him. And Max Crosby coming up, he's one of those guys. He's like a Nick Bosa. He's going 100 miles an hour the entire football game. He's going inside. He's going outside. He's bull rushing. So we'll see this week kind of how he does. But, you know, it seems like Mike is getting better. Um, I think it's because he's got his, I think last year, you know, he got really light and he was just getting bull rushed all the time. And he, in his, in his, in his, the way he was placing his feet, the way he was kicking out, he was giving up the inside, uh, rust lane. So, I mean, I think he's just gotten better with 
the fact that you've got the best tackle on one end and you've got a middle that was questionable beginning of the season and they've all gotten so much better. You know, the talk was, you know, what's going to happen in the middle? Quarterbacks are going to get all this gut pressure and they've given up, you know, really very few sacks up to gut. So I think he is getting better because everything around him is getting better. But I do think Kyle Shanahan likes him. Uh, he likes, I mean, he was a first round draft pick, of course. He's been on the team for, it seems like to me, like 20 years. He's been out there forever. But I think he is what Kyle Shanahan likes in an offensive lineman. And I think he is getting better because everyone around him is getting better. So I don't think it would be a tough decision in the offseason. I think they signed him to an extension. Uh, he's around. I, I, I see him being a 49er for a number of years, as long as the Kyle Shanahan and this offense is around. Yeah, and, you know, again, the the balance that he's shown now really for two seasons. He was, he was showing it last year. Actually, he was a worse run blocker. And he was a pass blocker last year before he got hurt. And and Furster, when I asked him about it, said, you know, uh, he, he might not have been at the very ideal way. He added a lot when he was re- after he was really light in 2020 uh, to handle the bull rush better. He handled added a lot for 2021, and that slowed him down for the the run blocking game in the outside zone. And I think this year McGlinchey might have found a, a sweet spot. But it's been two straight years of above average pass protection, and you know one of the issues with him and Twitter is that he, when he has a bad play, it looks really bad for whatever reason. And the problem with Twitter is that you know they're not going to show you a full game. Uh, you're, you're just going to see that one clip that looks terrible, and then it goes viral and people pile onto it. So it's you know he's, he's a victim of, of the social media culture. I think John Lynch has even said that on the radio before. I think that's the 49ers' view of this thing, at least, that uh, they're going to watch the film with all of its context and all the – you know, the context then is, I think, embodied in the numbers, right? Because those efficiency numbers take into account all the snaps. They're not going to just look at a couple tweets and see that people are upset and decide they need to use another draft pick on a right tackle or or put Colton McKivitz there or whatever. I don't think the 49ers are thinking that way. But either way, the, the offensive line is going to be under a spotlight here moving forward. And, and I think it's a good place to start the discussion of this game against the Raiders. Uh, how about Brock Purdy? Why don't we move back to him? Because uh, <laughs> he, he continues to be the man of the hour. Uh, it seems like he played really hurt in Seattle, right? I think the broadcasters even mentioned uh, on the CBS broadcast, Kevin Harlan uh, and Trent Green the other day, that, he's play, that that it was a rib injury as well. I'm not sure if you heard that, Matt. I haven't heard the exact words, but I heard that they talked about ribs. So I'm guessing oblique and and ribs and everything, it, it all kind of uh, melds together. But that just sounds painful to me. And Kyle Shanahan says that the further away he gets from it, the better Brock Purdy should be week in and, and, and week out. And that includes moving forward into this week. And that's great news for the 49ers because, uh, as we know, as this progresses further and turns into January and turns into the playoffs, you, you just you have to have good quarterback play. And, you know, every single week is a proving ground for Brock Purdy. But so far, he's passed all the challenges that have been put in front of him. Yeah, I, I spoke to somebody a couple of weeks ago about what the actual injury was. And they wouldn't uh, give the details, but they did say that when all is said and done, (laughs) the details come out, uh, people are going to be surprised about what he was able to play through. And it doesn't appear to be bothering him, or at least bothering him as much 
as it did even last week. I mean, uh, you uh, you noticed it uh, on that Wednesday practice, or I guess it was a Tuesday practice, David, that uh, the other two guys, Josh Johnson and Jacob Eason, were uncorking these deep passes early in the practice, and uh, Purdy was kind of keeping it to the short game. Well, on Wednesday, the first practice this week, he was uncorking the deep ones too. In fact, there was one play where, uh, you know, they, they set up the staffers at different parts of the field, and uh, and then hit the hit the targets, uh, you know, as they're warming up. Uh, Purdy actually waved the staffer uh, to go further down the field and then uncorked, uh, you know, 40, 45 yarder. Uh, and I think it was just to kind of give himself confidence that he can throw that. And, and he's been better on the, the deep balls than we thought he would be. That was supposed to be his big weakness um, coming out of Iowa State. Didn't have a big arm was late on a lot of his his deep throws. They hung in the air. They got intercepted. Um, he's been much better. Everything's been on time. I think the uh, the, the setup, the uh, the play calling, the play design has been, you know, uh, a big part of that. <laughs> he's throwing to, to wide open guys. And on one play, two wide open guys, uh, including a guy that shouldn't have been there in George Kittle. But um, the point is that he's operating this Shanahan system, and that's what Shanahan wants. Shanahan basically wants to be the brain and then the quarterback be the, uh, the arms and the nervous system. And that's precisely what Brock Purdy has delivered so far. Again, we're, we're always trying to kind of find weaknesses with the guy because uh, it, it seems too good to be true. But so far, he's not giving us a lot to critique. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, Dennis? I, yeah, you're right. You know, I don't know if it's just us in the media, but we're we're waiting for that rookie football game, right? Right. Where he makes a where he makes a bunch of mistakes. He throws some picks, you know, and he and he looks like a rookie, and it hasn't happened. And and I hope it doesn't happen. I hope it if it's gonna happen, I hope it doesn't happen in the playoffs. Let's put it that way. But it just looks like you know who is. I mean, every time I see him play, I think who is this guy? I mean, who is this guy? Where has he been? Uh, and how come he hasn't played any sooner? And, you know, as far as the deep balls go, I mean, I've seen him throw the ball down the football. I see him throw the ball to George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk down the field. So, you know, I don't I know his short game is is where he's the best, but I've seen some long balls. And for me, I mean, this guy, he has checked every box so far. Um, he's played on the road, he's played hurt. He's played even, you know, from behind a little bit when he came into the game when Jimmy Garoppolo went down. I think he was down. I think it was 7-3 to three in that game. And when he got back to the bench, the 49ers were up again. But, um, you know, he's he's lucky. He's, play, he's playing with a really good defense. Um, you know, I, I, I want to see, and I know he's played in some big games, but I, I, I want to see the playoffs. You know, when, when you kind of have to be on, your A game has to be on. Can you continue? But so far, you know, I don't know. We're waiting for that other shooter drop, and we see that rookie football game, and we really haven't seen him. We've seen some him throw some bad picks. He's gotten lucky a lot. He's had a few kind of call back. But um, so far, I mean, what can you say about the dude? Except, you know, how come this guy has not been playing longer uh, in this Shanahan's uh, offense? Because it seems like he's got he's got a, he's comfortable. You know he's you know he's becoming a really good scrambler. He can climb the pocket. He's he's extending plays with his legs a little bit. I mean, what else can you say about him except, like I said, where have where have you been and where have you been on the bench? 
Well, I mean, the story is still mainly unwritten, so we'll see how it continues. But I agree. I mean, he's got the highest passer rating in the NFL, I think, since he since he uh, started playing here. So it has been a sensational start. There's no question about it. Uh, has he gotten a little lucky with a couple would-be interceptions? Maybe, but uh, you know, a lot of that balances out because he got unlucky with the Jawan Jennings tipped into a pick that was a perfect pass and and Jawan Jennings just couldn't handle it and it was an interception so I think as the sample size gets larger this kind of stuff does does even out and even as it evens out right now with the larger sample size and I know we're still only a few games in but the numbers still remain really good so Brock Purdy he's uh, the man of the hour for the 49ers and the quarterback position is the most important position on the field there there's no you know schematic uh, trick that can change that truth, right? You you can you can obviously take pressure off of the QB. You can do different things, but you you still have to have decent quarterback play to make this work. And you, you have seen that throughout this Shanahan era when they haven't had good quarterback play, uh, it's crumbled, right? You go back to Mullins, you go back to CJ Beathard. But remember Mullins when he first started, that was against the Raiders in 2018. We could call back to that game now. That was that was quite the performance. The the Raiders in that game, they definitely quit, right? It was 34 to 3 by the time that game ended. Raiders looked like they're waving the white flag in the third quarter. George Kittle had a huge game. There's a chance we get a similar Raiders team this week based on what's been going on over there. Uh, but uh, this time Brock Purdy is not just making his first start. He's trying to turn this into a string of five really good games, right? And uh, I, I think he could do it against the Raiders team that's really depleted. Yeah, I, I heard Tanika and Dennis talking about this when we came on initially, and, and that's sort of the, the question mark that uh, will this new guy, Not he's not new, but uh, very little known, Jarrett Stidham, will he pull a Brock Purdy in this game or a Nick Mullins in this game and just kind of uh, be a spark for uh, a team that does have some talent. Um, and uh, Stidham is actually a guy that the 49ers played before. And I don't remember this. The 2020 season, the the COVID season is, is just a blur to me. But uh, he came in, in the second half of that game against the Patriots. Really good game for Jimmy Garoppolo. And uh, Cam Newton started the game and was ineffective, and Stidham came in this, in the fourth quarter, I think, and was equally ineffective, and I think he threw a pick. Um, he just hasn't had a lot of uh, work, and uh, the, the 49ers, uh, after Josh McDaniels, who had him in, in uh, New England, that's why the, the Raiders traded for Stidham, is because McDaniels knew him from the Patriots, Outside of, uh, of that coaching staff, probably the, the 49ers know him the best because they had him at the Senior Bowl back in January of, uh, of 2019, or I guess it was 2020. Um, no, it was 2019. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that they thought very highly of him because he was, you can sort of gauge it by uh, the, the, each team has four quarterbacks that they coach throughout the week. And um, Stidham was the third quarterback to enter the game for them. He was behind Will Greer and um, Gardner Minshew. Uh, So I never got the impression that week watching all the practices that he was uh, that great or the the 49ers were all that enamored with him. But he'll get a a chance to prove them wrong on Sunday in, uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah, and, you know, guess what? D'Amico Ryans is going to throw a lot of different coverages, disguise some packages, and he's going to turn loose those those four guys up front. Um, the Raiders, they do 
have a good, well, they can have a good running game. They have a really good back in Jacobs. I mean, he could take over a football game. But if you shut him down and, you know, put the ball in this quarterback's hands, who this would be probably his first week working with the ones uh, in any kind of consistency, uh, he's going to go out there and you're going to face this, this 49er defense. That's why I say the only way you leave Las Vegas and you don't have an L um, or you don't have a W is that if you just defeat yourself, if you go in there and you're not focused uh, at the job on the job at hand and you take care because this team is in disarray now. I mean, you know, one of their leaders, Derek Carr was a leader of this football team and he's no longer even in the building sidelines. He's not even in the building. You know, he's took it. He's pulled himself away from the football team. So they hope that, uh, you know, this quarterback can give him a little spark. Sometimes it happens, but if you go in there and you shut him down early first half, don't let the team stay in the football game. They'll give it up, even on their home field. They'll say, well, you know, this season is a done deal. But you can't let a team like this get any kind of confidence in the football game. you got to go in there. you got to set the tone very early. Special teams, offense, defense. you got to get after this young quarterback, make him throw an early pick, take away the confidence, and, and this should be a game that you walk away with a win pretty easily. And um, I want to go back. Um I, I'm interested in in, in, in the read. Um, Matt, you said you were in the locker room, the Buck the Buccaneers game. Is that what you were saying? Yes. My instructions were be were to be a fly on the wall. Don't be seen, nice. just observe. <laughs> nice. I, I, I'm interested in, in reading that and just see what your perspective was and you, and your thoughts. But Yeah, I, I was really fascinated just because it's sort of like the last frontier. We we, we never yeah. get to go inside a a halftime locker room. Uh, so I had really no idea. I knew it was I, the the cliche is like the uh, you know the the win one for the Gipper speech where you know the yeah. the coach <laughs> rallies everybody. There's no time for any of that. It's all nope. it's very very business oriented. But there's a choreography to it as well, and uh, I found it really really fascinating. And you know my like I said my uh, directive was to to. Just be very quiet. Just kind of hide in the corner and watch. And as soon as I got in there, Dennis, like four or five different players just went up to me. Hey, what are you doing in here? So <laughs> I was noticed right away. All uh, five foot five of me was uh, snipped yeah. out. Halftime. Halftime is is you know because you got that you know it feels like it's two minutes and guys are getting IVs, guys are changing shoes, guys are getting their ankle retaped, their knees retaped. You know, some guys, well, back in the day, some guys are getting a needle. So, yeah, halftime is, is like coordinated chaos. But, you know, it's it's interesting that they let you in the locker room. That's like forbidden ever to let a, let let media in the locker room at halftime. I'm yeah, surprised they lucky. didn't give the players a heads up. Yeah. Well, um, uh, Shanahan even forgot that he had given me permission. Uh, so it was, <laughs> but, uh, but Dennis, I, I wish we had had this uh, conversation before I wrote the piece. Because coordinated chaos is just a really, really beautiful way to describe what what it was the whole time. Yeah, and it's only what is it five minutes? You three minutes or something? You have? But well, it's, it's thirteen, but they're actually oh, only really? in there for ten, and it and it flies by. I mean, they yeah, all say yeah. it's over a uh, snap of a finger. Like the the number one objective of halftime is to use the restroom, <laughs> and so a lot of guys take that, uh, and then the number two is to really kind of 
start thinking about uh, the plays that they're going to run in the second half. So it's 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 half chaos and half classroom, basically. Yeah. So yeah. what was there a speech or is it just kind of everybody rushing around doing their thing? Uh, there was a speech. I don't want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, uh, 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 but there was, uh, there, there was more rah-rah, actually, than I thought there was going to be. I, I went too far thinking that it was all cliche, all that rah-rah stuff. There was some of that. It was mostly the defensive guys. The, the offensive guys, it was more like a classroom. Yeah, awesome. that figures. That figures. That figures. Well, no, no, that's really cool. That's a good <laughs> teaser. That's a good teaser. Everybody make sure yeah. to read it when it comes out here in the next couple of weeks. Next that's week? That's going to be cool. Uh, Friday, Friday. Friday. Oh, Friday. Perfect. All right. Yeah, that's a good teaser. I love it. Yeah. Sweet. Good way to end, too. 49ers, Raiders coming up on Sunday. Matt's article coming up on Friday. 49ers trying to keep on pushing that win streak to nine straight, right? They got eight right now, nine. They could finish this regular season on a 10-game win streak, which is the length of win streak that the 1994 team that Dennis was on accomplished after that Philadelphia loss. So some symmetry there. The 49ers would love that since the 94 team ended up winning it all. So we'll see. Anyway, for Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you next time.